Here we go. You're listening to Rumination Tuesday Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. We're going to have with us Pastor Mark Smith as we take a look at a hymn, O Wondrous Type, O Vision Fair. Wondrous type, O vision fair. Why is this the hymn for this coming Sunday, Pastor Mark Smith? Well, it occurs when William the Conqueror of Normandy assumed rule of England soon after the Battle of Hastings in 1066. There was a new rite for worship, and this elaborate rite formed much of the basis of Thomas Kramer's Book of Common Prayer of 1549. And therefore, this is a hymn that's used specifically for Transfiguration Day. Are you there, Pastor Smith? I sure am, and uh, I'm looking forward to Transfiguration Sunday. It's uh, for for some time. It's been designated as the last Sunday before the season of Lent. Is you know, it considered a my, Sunday my, of Epiphany or not? What's that? What about Epiphany? Is it considered a Sunday of Epiphany? I would say so. In fact, uh, in fact, that that third verse. Christ deigns to manifest to us today. That transfiguration yep, has the word study. manifest in it. Excellent. Yeah, and and remember the hymn, "God and man made manifest." That's what that's what Epiphany is all about. Yeah, this you, is anonymous. We don't know who the writer was. Yeah, you know, Tom. If uh, if my memory serves me correctly. I seem to remember that uh, Transfiguration was celebrated at one time uh, more in the summer, sometime in the summer. Uh, I think I remember reading that in a book um, where they were gathering to celebrate Transfiguration on a on a summer day. I don't, you know, I don't know, I don't know how long it's been designated in our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. I don't know how long we've been celebrating it on the last Sunday before Lent, but is for, for, for quite a while, I think. Yes, uh, there's no doubt it talks about it as being the hymn of the day 
for the transfiguration of the Lord. So that would depend what day they would choose for the transfiguration. But I was unaware that it was at sometime during the uh, summer. It always seems to be right after. I think I remember reading that in, uh, it was a book about the uh, the Church of Norway. I think the oh. Norwegians, Norwegians used to celebrate in the summer. I could, I could be wrong, but I, I seem to remember that for some reason. I think it's appropriately placed where it is, the last Sunday before Lent. It's, it's the, you know, it's, it's, it's almost the ultimate of man's fig, of uh, Christ's manifestation. Uh, the only thing, the only thing that's more going to be greater than that is when he comes again on the last day. But this is, uh, as we sing, it's, a, it's a type. A, a vision fair of the glory well, why that the don't you go ahead share. and do the first verse okay oh wondrous type O vision fair of glory that the church may share which christ upon the mountain shows where brighter than the sun he glows well the word type what does that mean it's uh, ironically, I would I would describe it as a, a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing of uh, you know like um, um, like uh, how how God saved the family of Noah uh, through water and brought them into into the into the ark and saved them. So He saves us. That is a type of baptism, how we're brought through water into the church and salvation. That's a Do type. you know that you are quoting 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, where well, the apostle that, teaches that the great flood of Genesis was a type yeah. or example of the great flood of holy baptism, both of which kill and bring to life. Right. So the word type here therefore means a kind of sort of foretaste of uh, the heavenly vision of him who is the light itself. Yeah, foretaste, foreshadowing. I think uh, foretaste may be even a more appropriate word. Yes. So, O wondrous type, O vision fair, of glory that the church may share. Now, what I find interesting is most people read this from Matthew or one of the other Gospels, but Matthew 17. But Second Peter really talks about it also. Peter says, we did not follow closely devised myths, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Right. And then he says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. And then he quotes, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Yes, Peter's obviously talking about the transfiguration event. Yes, and 
do you recognize how many persons were at that Transfiguration event? I remember it was, uh, well, of course, the, the inner circle of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, were with Jesus. And there was also Elijah and, and Moses uh, upon the mountain. And, of course, uh, uh, all three persons of the Trinity were there, too. Very good. All three persons of the Trinity. Uh, because what Peter says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right. That's really an important text to show us that these were not cleverly devised myths. What's a cleverly devised myth that some unfortunate theologians talk about today? How do uh, they understand? To, oh, let's see. I'm trying to think what would be a myth today. The myth of uh, of evolution, for instance. Excellent. Well, you, you've got some of these, uh, some of them are well-intentioned uh, theologians that feel like, well, we've got to conform to evolutionary thinking, and so they try to fit in evolution into uh, into uh, creation and, and all of God's plan, which, of course, is wrong. I wouldn't say well-intentioned, Satan-intentioned. There you go. I, 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 I would agree with that. You're right. I think uh, Satan's behind it. Make no, make no mistake. Yes, just as he really confused Adam and Eve— you can actually become like God. And, you know, our seminary at one time, uh, back when I first started going there, was with many, as you said, well-intentioned that I consider to be Satan-intentioned professors who denied many parts of the clear Bible. So they, they considered a number of things myths. In fact, Every time there was a miracle, they would try and give a natural explanation of it. Right. Yes. You see that a lot. Uh, yep. in, in, in the, and again, I would say some of these people are well-intentioned, but behind it, of course, is the devil, because he's, he's undermining God's truth. And, uh, but these people feel that uh, they need to help these miracles along with uh, a, a, a rational explanation or natural explanation. Yes, but would you consider Adam and Eve to be well-intentioned when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No, that obviously no. No, they were they were tempted by Satan. Absolutely. Yes. That's how I understand it also. I'll read stanza 2. With Moses and Elijah nigh, the incarnate Lord holds converse high, and from the cloud the Holy One bears record to the only Son. Now, there's a couple of things in that verse. What does the Father say that is different than what he said at Jesus' baptism? He says, listen to him. Yes. Yes. Listen and to that Jesus. That's the message that the disciples heard as they went down the mountain, that the way that they were to proclaim the message was by repeating what Jesus said. 
and that's critical. Now, there's something here also. Why Moses and Elijah? Well, you know, they both have something in common. Uh, Elijah went to heaven in, in a fiery chariot in a whirlwind, was taken to heaven without dying. Um, Moses died, but interestingly, God buried him. God himself buried Moses on Mount Nebo. Yes. And if you, and, and if you look at the book of, uh, Jude, I believe it talks about the archangel Michael, uh, striving against, uh, Satan for the body of Moses. I don't, you know, there's something there's something about those two personages. Well, and there's other explanations. You know, uh, Moses is the prototype of of all the prophets. He he represents the represents the prophets. He represents the law, of course. Yes. Uh, which which contains all sorts of prophecies. Uh, he wrote the first five books of of the Bible, the Torah. So, uh, and then you have Elijah, who represents. Elijah, of course, well represents the prophets, especially especially Elijah. He was more of a doer than a writer. If you look at his ministry, he did a lot of he he acted a lot. Uh, he acted out his ministry rather than just writing it. Yes, I understand Moses, as you said, to be the writer of the law, and Elijah primarily a kind of foretaste of all the rest of the prophets in, right. in the Old Testament. And that's why they were chosen. But there's something else I would want to say about Moses, and you did say it, but it's different than Elijah. This is an example that the people who die in the faith don't really die. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I also think that passage where it says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Right, but what I'm talking about is a lot of people wonder, well, will my loved one, will I be seeing them again in heaven or else? Yes. They're there right now. Right, right. In the spirit. That's right. Remember the words of Jesus to Martha when he yes. went to raise Lazarus from the dead. What did he say? He says, "He says, she says, I know I will see him. I will see my brother in the resurrection." And then Jesus says, "I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And we, and he who uh, lives and believes in me, shall never die." That is really important, shall never die. So he's not talking about the death of the body, right. but the death of the spirit, which does not occur. Yeah, it continues right. to live. That's right. And so this is an example of someone who had not only died, but also had been buried, and yet God puts him there on Mount Transfiguration. Right. And just as he said to the thief on the cross, he said, this very day you will be with me in paradise. We go right to be with Jesus 
uh, when we die. That's excellent. Excellent. Stanza three, please. With shining face and bright array, Christ deigns to manifest today what glory shall be theirs above who joy in God with perfect love. Now, that's interesting that this is kind of a a forewarning about how we are going to be like in heaven. But Jesus is shining with great glory. Is that true of believers in heaven after Judgment Day? Well, uh, you know, the Bible does talk about, it talks about degrees of glory. Yes. It talks about varying degrees of glory. That And uh, yes, I do believe we'll, now, of course, we won't be like Jesus. We won't be equal to God by no means. Uh, but we are already, by baptism, adopted into his family. And uh, yes, this is a, this is a, a type. It's a foretaste of the glory that we will share with our Lord Jesus in that new heaven and new earth. Yes, I always like to teach that when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, remember after they sinned, they realized they were naked. Yes. But were they not naked before? Well, no, they had a glory about them, and the Old Testament teaches that they lost that glory, and that's how they realized that they were naked and they hid from God. And then they tried to put on fig leaves as though that would take care of their problem. It didn't quite cover it, did it? (laughs) No. So God had to, God had to, uh, kill, uh, animals and uh, give them the, the skins to cover their, their nakedness. Yes. Isn't it interesting that even then with the, uh, those animals, they were sacrificed their lives to to cover uh, the sinfulness and the nakedness of uh, Adam and Eve. In fact, that word where God says he covered is actually from the root word to forgive. And it reminds us there was another lamb who would be sacrificed that would lead to our forgiveness. What's that talking about? Yeah, the, the lamb of God who take away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist pointed to him. By his crucifixion. Exactly. All right. Stanza four, please. And faithful hearts are raised on high by this great vision's mystery, for which in joyful strains we raise the voice of prayer, the hymn of praise. Now, why is it a mystery? Why is it a... Let's see. Uh, let me look at the context of the hymn again. By this... with And faithful hearts are raised on high by this great vision's mystery. Well, there, there no doubt... There certainly is mystery surrounding it. I mean, uh, it is... This was a... This was a, a new experience for those three disciples... Uh, and, and, um, I mean, Jesus had never revealed himself, uh, in his glory at all to them, but now he kind of lifts the curtain just momentarily and gives them just a a glimpse of his, 
uh, divine majesty and glory. And and they're they're really kind of dazed by it. In fact, Peter uh, Peter wants to stay up there. He says, "Let's build let's build three shelters: one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and let's just stay up here for a while in this in this great uh, enjoying this great vision." Yes. When a person says the word mystery, what are they talking about? Why is a thing a mystery? Well, let's see. The The word mysterium, if I remember right, that's used for, uh, it's used for the sacrament, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. But the definition of mystery is something that is difficult or impossible to understand or to explain. Right, right, yeah. In fact, when they saw this, you know, we rejoice at it, but what did Peter want to do? He wanted to stay up there. He wanted to camp out up there. More that than night. that. Let's see. Let me think now. What did he want to build? The three shelters, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. Yeah. What is a shelter in his mind? Uh, I would think uh, kind of like, the, remember the Feast of Booths? Uh, kind of a, a, a lean-to, if you will. Um, it was a, a place a, of a worship. Temporary, a, a temporary, oh, a place of worship. Okay, yeah, right. He, yeah, he was, uh, it was... Uh, uh, an experience that moved a person to worship. You know, I, I said this in the sermon last week, talking to the members of the congregation. I said, you believe things that the world doesn't believe. Uh, for example, when I say something like Jesus took a little bit of bread and some fish and fed 5,000 people, Nobody in the congregation stands up and says, Pastor, that is ridiculous. That doesn't make sense. No, you all believe that. Right. Now, how did that come about? Because you received the gift of what? The Holy Spirit and faith. Exactly. Christians believe things in the Bible that are total mysteries, there's no evidence outside the Bible that they are true. The only evidence is what Jesus did, and that's what's going to be the Sunday school lesson for this week, the road to Emmaus, and how did Jesus talk to those disciples on the road to Emmaus? Oh, I'll tell you, what a great Bible study that must have been. He opened the Scriptures to them. He went through, he went through the whole Old Testament, and showed how different prophecies, different passages in the Old Testament were talking about him. Yes. And open, open their eyes to these things. And, and, uh, and remember how one of the disciples said later on that evening, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? That's well said. That's the first line of verse 4. And faithful hearts are raised on high. That's what you and I as pastors do. And we just plant, we water, but who gives the growth? God. In fact, Tom, isn't that right out of the communion liturgy? Lift up your hearts. 
we lift them up unto the Lord. Yes, well said, well said. Stanza five, please. O Father, this is a doxological verse. It has a triangle in front of it. That means we stand for it, and it speaks of all three persons of the Trinity. O Father, with eternal Son and Holy Spirit, ever one, we pray thee, bring us by thy grace to see thy glory face to face. Now, that last line, what do you think it's referring to? That's referring to what we call the beatific vision, when we shall see God in all of his glory. And and our Lord Jesus, of course, uh, the beatific vision that we will enjoy with him face to face in heaven. And do you remember what person in the Bible talked about that he's going to see God face to face? Oh, let me think. Who is that? That was, I know that my... I know that my Redeemer lives. That's uh, uh, Job. Excellent. Job said, uh, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand the latter day upon the earth, and with my own eyes I shall behold him. Not someone else's eyes. My own eyes that I have in my skull right now will be... Uh, will be made flesh again, and I will see him with my own eyes. Which means that is a fulfillment of what David asks. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That will occur also in heaven, where we will have a new body without sin and be just like Jesus. We will not be almighty or all-knowing or this but we will be in glory shining as the stars in heaven as he did on the day of transfiguration. So thanks very much for helping us with this hymn, O Wondrous Type, O Vision Fair. And we'll continue talking about this theme on tomorrow's Law and Gospel, where we look at another passage from the book of Proverbs written by Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.